Hello and welcome to another episode of North 100, a Canadian Highlander podcast. I'm Serge. Joining me as always, I have Jer, Alex, and Liam. Reminder, this podcast is brought to you by you with your support at the Patreon at patreon.com slash run. We literally could not do this without your support. Thank you. All right, let's dive right into it. Let's start with our opening segment, the best card you're not playing. And up today, we got Liam. Liam, spice us. So uh, the preamble for this is Jared and I went down. We uh, went down to Snohomish again. Nice. Nice. Another tournament. It was lots of fun. We didn't do as well this super, time. Super sweet. That's okay though. I got <laughs> I, I heard an American won it this time. He Ooh. he did. It was the guy who came second last time actually. Oh. So prop was that the gray human deck, whatever? It, yes, it was the black white black white humans deck. I so this list. Yeah. it's available. Su- super good player, super Please nice show to Tyler. Yeah, cool. Well well done. Um but so as is now tradition, when we go to these Snohomish tournaments, we chaos draft afterwards at a karaoke Ooh. bar. Ooh. And in addition to now knowing uh, that one of the people who was on this trip is a better rapper than I thought they were. <laughs> Pardon? Uh, sure. I, I'll show you the video later. Okay. Um, it was great. I also discovered a card I want to play in Highlander. So we chaos drafted, and uh, I played a, a blue-red tempo deck. I beat everyone. Nice. And uh, nice. one of the cards that was really good in my deck that I want to play more of is Jeskai Elder. What? Yeah. This is sweet. So Jeskai Elder is... Uh, a one in a blue cons of Tarkir uncommon with prowess that says whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card, and if you do, discard a card. And so, I don't know what I want to play this in yet exactly. <laughs> I think I think I want to play it in blue red tempo, and the reason is um, this just like is pretty annoying to block, but you also really want to block it because. Unlike a card like Monastery Swift Spear or some of the other prowess creatures where you might just say, yeah, okay, I'll take the one or two damage, I don't want to risk getting blown out, this actually generates a lot of advantage and punishes people for not blocking. Uh, But similarly, if they do decide to block, you can really get them if you have another spell. So I'm going to play this in Blue Red Tempo the next time I play it. Interesting. yeah, I was super impressed with it. Uh, obviously, like, Chaos Draft to Highlander, not sure it's a one-to-one <laughs> comparison, no. but, like, it was sweet. It was really good. And, like, I, the deck I was playing was was doing something that you could definitely do in a Highlander deck just yeah. at a higher power level with more consistency. So I like your evaluation there. You're like, is this Monastery Swiss Spear? You're like, of course not. And oh, you're like... Don't it, be ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, is this Looter Eelcor? And you're like, you're not really using it for that either. But, again, the mind game with the, yeah. the blocks on this. And it's, like, it's different from Looter Eelcor in that, like, I'm not actually trying to do anything explicitly unfair here. I'm trying to, like, loot away an extra land. But uh, even just, like, filling your graveyard, you know, like, yeah. like velocity is really important in these sort of blue-red decks, and you often hmm. will have, like, like just drawing extra cards, seeing extra cards in your deck is, yeah, super relevant. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. And, like, and if this ever sticks on an open board, it's like a nightmare, right? It's just going to generate so much value. I did huh. live the dream in Snohomish when I tandem looked out, look out, Lookouted my Jeskai Elder, That's which the, is a uh, Soulbond creature, right? Yeah, that makes them Ophidians. Uh, so I was um, drawing two, discard one. Yeah, so I was like Aether adepting my opponent's creatures and like drawing three cards and discarding one yeah, every turn. Yeah, okay. it, was, it was fun. Um, but yeah, so that that's the best card you're not playing. I I really want to try it. I think it is uh, really interesting. I mean, this is this is one that I I definitely can't sit down and be like I've played this in Highlander. I think it's great, but it's one I wanted to talk about. Sure. Uh, and I and I think it's worth worth another shot. This art is much better than I thought it was. Tandem yeah. Lookout? There's two of them. <laughs> this art is really good. Tandem. <laughs> that means two. Okay. Hey, Alex. Hey. What are, we, uh, what are we doing on Sunday? Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. The Super Bowl, right? That's hey. what it is? We're watching football. Liam, no? please. If football was played with cardboard, yeah. Mm, uh, I see. This if Sunday. If football was Tarmogoyf. 
uh, at noon on Loading Ready Run, twitch.tv slash Loading Ready Run. Mm-hmm. It's the Highlander Tournament. Bear, 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 bear. 2017 champs. 2017 champs. Sweet. Uh, so there's going to be a bunch of players and a bunch of decks on some tables, I think. <laughs> Maybe they'll be levitated. Uh, and you're going to get to see some real powerful magic. Yeah, live. Like maybe tables. You know, good old-fashioned It's a table. Magic. It's yeah, a table. You're gonna, actually, you're not allowed to play with sleeves at this event. Yeah. <laughs> but guys, it's 2018. Why is it the 2017 championship? Good question, Graham. Thank you. So glad you asked. Uh-huh. Um... Do you want to go share? I've been getting people ask me this, so I've been like... Liam. So this is the tournament for the top eight competitors from last year's season. So last year, we played uh, 113 tournaments. Uh, Each one of them awarded a point. uh, And these are the eight people who won the most of them. Um, So Jarrah's one of them, and then there's seven other people. Uh, What we're going to do is we're going to play a, a slightly weird tournament structure not all of Just which you weird. yeah you Take won't notes. you won't see all of it so don't worry about it too much but basically you're going to watch uh, some exciting qualifier matches to make it into a top 4 we have to break our 8 down into 4 and we have a, a weird way to do that we'll explain it in better detail on the show um, and then after we have the top 4 it's very conventional uh, tournament structure where it's just uh, a, a top four like you would see at any any typical magic tournament. Uh, one other thing worth noting, uh, the commentary team for this event is uh, very illustrious. Um, <laughs> it's uh, myself, uh, Alex, Serge, and then Nelson, who many of you will, will, will know of Friday nights and other uh, magic loading ready run related fame. Uh, so yeah, it's the, the four of us. Uh, we're going to be talking. Jared's going to be playing. Uh, there's going to be seven other people who hopefully are... Hopefully still playing. Hopefully still playing. That's true. It, it <laughs> Not is, knocked out in the qualifiers. I, well, I don't want to jinx you. It is live. But uh, you know what? what? What could possibly go wrong, yeah. right? That's what they say. Well, Jared, you want to talk a little bit about how you qualified? Uh, like, what yeah. place did you come? I, I finished third out of out of the top eight. Really? So up, upper half. My man. Yeah. Uh, roughly... Uh, how many times did you have to win? Like we were saying, there was 113 qualifying tournaments for this. I think I won uh, 10 tournaments. And what's our average turnout for an event? Uh, 30-ish, 30, 30-ish people. That's hardcore. Get them. Yeah. You want to know how many times I won this season? Zero. <laughs> it was not a good season for Surge. The might, consolation might, high five. I might have O2'd more than 10 times this season. <laughs> I think that's like pretty live. Yeah, O2 milkshake more often than Jer won. That, that, that might be a little bit too real there, Liam. A couple Liam. times I got to play during the latter half of the year, I think I was just stuck in 3-1 world. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, it's not the worst world to no, be stuck not. in. No, it's not. It's just like a, the almost world. That's the like... Get a bunch of store cred world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm at the point where I've like I can chain tournaments fairly indefinitely. Like I win more than I lose, so my 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 winnings pay for the next entry, but I am definitely not a a qual a tournament qualifying player like our, our friend here. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, for context, uh, how well did first place do and how well did eighth place do? I think first place had twenty four points. Yeah. So that's twelve and wins. Eighth place had ten points. Dang. Uh, it's it's like not quite slightly it's more complicated. More, but close. Well, it's more than twelve wins. Okay. I think. Wow. Okay. Yeah, definitely I think, more than I think 12. Chris had like fifteen or sixteen, maybe more. Think, yeah. Um, and then yeah, the the bottom placing was actually I think it was nine, right? Or was it nine? It was nine or ten. I think like, it was ten. It was ten, oh, and we oh, actually but. had a three way tie for seventh, eighth, and ninth. Uh, and so you have to do a there was a playoff to decide who who ended up getting those last two spots. Cool. 
Which so is also exciting. The point of today's episode, not only to hype our stream on Sunday, 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 as uh, Alex was was getting to, but it's also to talk about what decks did we see? What what was our metagame like for all of 2017? Um, and I think it's definitely worth mentioning, you, you people at home may have noticed this, but we talk about the decks that we like, <laughs> uh, not necessarily the metagame. Um, and to prepare you for tomorrow, we should probably do uh, a meta review of these are the decks that performed well on 2017, and these are the decks we're likely to see tomorrow, but it's it's really hard to predict, to be honest, because... We are not making predictions. We're definitely not making predictions, and full disclosure, because uh, Jer is in the tournament, it would put him at a disadvantage if he did, so we're gonna we're gonna beat around the bush a little bit when we say, what are you gonna see? We're, we're, not, we're not gonna say that, but... We definitely know the decks that have performed well, and, and there's a chance they'll show up, and so we want to prepare you so that when you tune on on Sunday, you're not like, what 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 is Just Guy? Yeah. Um, hmm. What is a Blue Moon? Yeah, and, and it's worth saying, right? Like, our metagames are really diverse. We have these 30-person tournaments where, like, there's often 25 to 30 unique archetypes. Yeah. But these are the archetypes that, on any given tournament, you're likely that, it's likely that at least one person is playing this deck. Um, so we're going to, in our 2017 year in review, we're going to go over the following. What decks did well? Um, what new archetypes sort of emerged throughout the year? And then finally, um, some archetypes disappeared. You know, we changed the, we changed the points list. Uh, we have a very, we don't have a solved format yet. And as such, as new decks start to do really well, uh, other decks kind of fall off the radar. Uh, and I suppose let's jump into it. Um, one deck that we talk about a bunch and has a particular painful spot in my heart <laughs> is Blue Moon. Know. Yeah, <laughs> it's your friend Blue Moon. Alex, can you can you give me a quick rundown of what is a Blue Moon? So you categorize this as a control deck. Yeah, correct. Totally. It's any only. It's red blue, basically hard control. Hard control. Do you think it, so? Yeah. It's a firm control. Firm, firm, firm kung fu grip control. Yeah, it, it plays more win conditions than most hard control decks That's fair. in past would play. It's like actually pretty good at turning the corner and winning. The it's game. like it's like a chunky tempo deck. Where does it get? It's not. Where does it get its it name from? It gets its from? name from uh, Blue Moon from. Uh, the card Blood Moon yeah, and well, well done, Magus man. of the Moon. You, you astutely figured that one out. <laughs> and I suppose to a lesser effect, does that does Blue Moon play um, back to basics? Oh, sure does. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes. Oh, has, has been getting cut sometimes, but yeah, more often than not. Yeah, but definitely does play that. So tell me about Blood Moon. Well, it's a very simple card. Okay. Two and a red gets you an enchantment that just says non-basic lands or mountains. But what, what about all my sweet land decks? Serge, I got bad news for Hello, you. Darkness, <laughs> I hope you're casting a lot of elemental appeals in those sweet land decks. Okay. Because otherwise... Um, and back to basics is two and a blue for an enchantment. Non-basic lands do not untap during their controller's untap phases. This one's sometimes even worse. And Magus of the Moon is Blood yep. Moon, but it is a 2-2. Two -two. <laughs> uh, these all have in common um, really hating out your opponent's land base. And because... Uh, Blue Moon is a two-color deck. It can afford to play a lot of basics, uh, which means that it sort of dodges its own... The symmetrical like, effects. The symmetrical, yeah, land hate. Yeah. yeah. So it'll play out, you know, a bunch of basics and then drop one of these and your, like, fancy three or four-color deck is just hosed. Um, and there's one particular interaction that I've talked about on the show a couple of times. Once or twice. Yeah. Uh, who Should wants I get the soapbox ready? No, maybe some, somebody else. Jared, tell me about a, a particular two-card combo that Blue Moon is pretty common for, just so the viewers expect uh, it. So, 
one of the more popular ways to win in Blue Moon is to cast the card Madcap Experiment. And what is that? It's three and a red for a sorcery that says, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal an artifact card. Put that card onto the battlefield, the rest on the bottom of your library, and then it deals damage to you equal to the number of cards you revealed. Well, that sounds really bad. Why this would you play that? It's Super dangerous in a, in a hundred card format. Yeah. But they only play one artifact, and it's Platinum Empyreon, which is an 8-mana <laughs> eight 8-8 eight that says your life total cannot change. And Period. since Madcap Experiment puts Platinum Empyrean onto the battlefield, then tries to deal damage to you, it'll okay. deal the damage, but your life total is not going to change. And there's no point at which your opponent has to remove Platinum Empyrean in the middle of Madcap Experiment resolving. So there's not a lot of counterplay to it. Once they start flipping, they're going to get this 8-8 in play and not take damage. So it's essentially a half-price discount on Platinum Empyrean. Yeah, Correct. which is a pretty pretty good deal. Uh, and a tutor. It also just like finds it. Yeah. It's also easier to find than Platinum Empyrean. <laughs> yeah, because one of... You one can of, Mystical for it. Exactly, that's the thing. One of the more popular ways they have to find it is Mystical Tutor. That's one of the key cards in the... Actually, I'd say it's the most key I, card I think it's the, the most important part. In card. the Blue Moon deck. The, the Mystical, Mystical Tutor, tutor yeah. finds Ancestral Recall, which is the card they, they use to generate velocity. They have lots of ways to buy back Ancestral Recall to continue that velocity and find other draw spells. Like Snapcaster, Jace, Vince Prodigy. Yeah, exactly. Um, then they have uh, Bonfire of the Damned, which is a really, really strong sweeper, especially if you happen to draw it off the top of your deck. Hmm. Mystical Tutor puts it on top of your deck. It's yeah. a miracle! Yeah. Bonfire is a really good Rasp spell that I think only sees play in blue base decks because they have this ability to arrange what your top card is. Yeah, so you, you just have a modicum of control over it. I've played it a bunch in, in, in ramp decks where you're able to play top because you're playing enough ramp spells that shuffle your deck I to make I bet you could play it in a deck with, top that played run. top and Sylvan Library. Yeah. Maybe, maybe and, that's good enough. And especially if you're getting to big mana where even if you do end up drawing it, you can still cast it for a reasonable yeah. reasonable mm. value. You got nine mana, See, I've been fours. thinking about this deck too. Red, like red green control, play the dinosaur yeah. that draws cards and just dro drop the like three mana red wraths on top um, of it. Yeah. yeah, and then to continue on the mystical tutor train, it also finds madcap experiment. So it's oh. really good at doing three entirely different facets. So it's when when the board's mostly neutral and your opponent still has some resources, you can find ancestor recall to just pull ahead on resources and get the game going that way. When you're on a little bit under the caution, you you have a or look, staring down a scary, bo scary board, you can go get Bonfire of the Damned and, you know, even the board out, dome your opponent for, for some damage on the way. And when you just need to end the game, it finds Madcap Experiment, which puts an 8-8 into play that doesn't let your opponent interact with you Does Blue very Moon typically well. play Merchant Scroll? Mm. Uh, it has. So one, one, that's, one thing that's interesting about Blue Moon is it's probably the reason why we've seen as many points on blue cards this year in, hmm. in 2017 as yeah. we did. So at the start of the year, uh, Ancestral Recall cost five. Merchant Scroll was free. Um, <laughs> and so the blue moon decks that people have been playing recently are like 14 points from the start Compared, of 2017. Sure, yeah, okay. And a lot of the, like, Merchant Scroll was just too good at zero. It needed to be one. So what's Merchant Scroll? Merchant Scroll is one in a blue for a sorcery that says search your library for a blue in uh, instant or interrupt. So it uh, just says instant. instant. Yeah. Uh, and then you get to put that card in your hand. So this this finds Mystical, and then it also finds Recall. Um, and so it's, it's, or any counterspell. Right, or Force of Will or Dig Through Time. Um, 
And then, uh, but yeah, so so this card was really good. Recall costs two fewer points. Uh, it's also worth noting, like, Mana Drain recently got pointed, and, and some part of that is actually because of Blue Moon as well. So if you're if you're looking at like, Blue Moon lists from a while ago, you'll note they're severely over points. And, and it's partially because this strategy really pulled a lot of the really effective blue cards together in a way that felt quite potent. All right, let's move on to a similar deck. Uh, another deck that was doing quite well throughout the 2017 season was Jeskai. Uh, so Jeskai mid-range, Jeskai tempo. Uh, uh, Jer, give us a quick primer into that archetype. It was predominantly the the mid-range version that was mm -hmm. having uh, more more success. Uh, it was sort of a carryover from the 2016 season. It was probably the most successful deck in 2016. And then towards the beginning of this year, it uh, continued that success. So it's predominantly a mid-range deck that uses uh, predominantly white and red threats, uh, red removal, and then a, f a, a smattering of blue cards. It's not it's not really a blue-based deck, which m mm. we're, we sort of expect to see from most mm. of the blue blue decks in, in Highlander. It's it's pretty heavily three colors. Like, it's casting cards like Burmaz, King yeah. of Oreskos. That's one white-white for a 3-4 with Vigilance. Whenever it attacks or blocks, you create a 1-1 one, one that attacks or blocks with it. Mm -hmm. So it's a really strong threat that's resilient to red removal and is good on both offense and defense. And this is sort of the the poster cat creature. <laughs> of, I suppose of, it's the ultimate like hedge card. And maybe it's the ultimate hedge deck. I mean, it's just that it's good, right? Like, this this card is just, like, insanely powerful, and it's, it's, it's like, just one of the good best at, things you can do in its mana It's good at everything. It's good at holding equipment, which the deck is able to find with Stoneforge Mystic. It's good at attacking your opponent really quickly. It's good at really good at pressuring combo decks because it comes down usually before your the combo deck can kill you from being untapped or tapped out. And it provides a really quick clock that means you don't need to tap out again. Uh, and it's really, really good. Often you'll play it against an aggro deck, and then they don't attack you for the next four turns. So. <laughs> and it has vigilance, so you get to keep attacking them. It, exactly. <clears throat> so it's aggro just, decks hate four toughness. Yeah, it's it's a they nightmare. I, I unironically advocated for pointing Grimas. I I will I will admit. Yeah, really? yeah. When I was on the council, like we jo joked about it, and then at a council meeting, I was like, okay, guys. But for really, real though, what if we pointed Brimas? We didn't point Brimas, but yeah. it's a really good card. I'm kind of glad we didn't. I don't. Uh, yeah. I I mean. It was like a, I was exploring options on how we point Jeskai without pointing other blue decks. Mm. And this seemed like a reasonable and approach. But not that reasonable. We the Jeskai decks are also trying to cast some of the big dragons. Like the, yeah. the newest edition is Glorybringer. The dad. The real good. Uh, three red red for a 4-4 four, four with flying in haste. You may exert it when you attack it. If you do, it deals four damage to target creature. Non-dragon so, creatures. Non -dragon is this non-dragon? Yeah, I watched this come up. Someone, it, they did it so that in standard you couldn't glory bringer your opponent's glory bringer. Huh. They yeah. didn't want standard to be like that. The glory mirror uh, meta. But then I watched, uh, actually it was someone playing against Blue Moon. It was a Jeskai Blue Moon finals. And the Blue Moon player glory bringer the Jeskai player. And then the Jeskai player was like, that's fine. Glory bringer, attack, exert, target your... Oh, no. And then they... Ripped. And since they'd already declared that they'd exerted, the ability was on the stack. And I think, if I remember correctly, they then had to target something else. Oh, dear. We do, because exerting it isn't tied oh, no. to the ability. It's... Yeah. You so choose then, to exert it, and then when yeah. it exerts, you get the ability. So then they killed something else not as good as Glorybringer and, and then died. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. uh, this deck also plays Thundermaw Hellkite, which is kind of similar. Yeah, yeah. Same mana cost for a 5-5 five, five yeah. with Flying in Haste. Uh, and when it enters the battlefield, it deals one to each creature with Flying. 
uh, that your opponents control, and you tap those creatures. So it's like a 5-5 that will get in. Yeah, it's the definitely. best lava axe in the world. Unless they have reach creatures. Yeah, I like that. I like Nobody that Jeskai um, really emphasized the five mana finisher, which was you know most of the five mana threats come into the game and they end the game. They have haste, like most of these haste dragons, or they're playing Sarkon, which turns into a hasty dragon. This might actually be the the reason we like SS cards that cost as much and are not as good, because it's like you know for the CMC in this color, you could just play Hellkite. And it's just going to be better. Or other hasty dragons. Or other hasty or, dragons or yeah. other threats. Uh, and then, then Jeskai is also playing cards like Counterspell and Jace, sure. Jace the Mind Sculptor. Protect Cryptic yeah. so Command. <laughs> exactly, it's Green. Cryptic Command. So the, the mana base... Angel, it's no good. The mana base yeah. really is stretched in these decks. They're playing double white on three, double red on five, triple blue on four. <laughs> like... There isn't. You can't really call this deck a base red deck, a base white deck, or a base blue deck. It's it it's heavily sense why, heavily three color. Sorry, why they play uh, the filter lands? Yeah. Oh yeah. To. Yeah. They have to. They have to. And and so this is a deck where you don't see utility lands. It's just all dual lands, a couple basics, but. Hmm. All right. Uh, and the last there another. I don't know why my segue is so bad. There. Pardon me. <laughs> Liam, talk about red deck wins. <laughs> Well, you know, your segue was abrupt, which is a good way of describing this deck. Um, don't worry, I picked it up for you. Um, so, so Red Deck Wins is um, a deck that's always been prominent in Highlander. Yeah. I mean, it's just I it's think just it's prominent in every format, more more or less, right? Like, it, it, if there's a if totally. there's an RDW deck, people are going to find it and people are going to play it, and that's for one reason, right? It's consistent, it's fast, it's going to do the same thing every time. Um, Red in the past in Highlander, uh, previous to 2017, had a couple of different looks. We had Goblin decks, which were pretty yep. popular. Mm -hmm. um, this year, go Goblins really fell to the wayside, saw almost none of it. Yeah, what uh, happened to Goblins? Uh, it's mono-red matchup is bad. Uh, and, and it also struggled a bunch against the decks like Jeskai, and Goblins has a hard time against Blue Moon as well. Um, so, so Goblins kind of fell by the wayside. Red did not. Um, mm. And so we saw a an uptick in red players, um, and b what's kind of interesting is that mono red is definitely uh, one of the archetypes that has some of the more dedicated players. So we've got sort of two or three people in Victoria who just play red. That that's just the deck they're gonna play. You that's know, if you sit across from them, you know what they're playing. They're gonna burn you out. Right. Mm. Um, and so I actually think that like the mono red players broadly. I mean, there are other people who <laughs> played it, but but even just those couple of mono red players. They maybe won like ten or twelve tournaments, oh, maybe, wow. maybe more between them. Like if they all morphed into one mono red <laughs> kind of Giant, transformer, yeah. like a ball of lightning, really. Right? Yeah. Um, so why is mono red good? I mean, it's consistent. It's going to do the same thing every time. I mean, um, essentially, mono red is thirty three lands and sixty six burn spells. Yeah, I mean that's well, that's a little simple. Sure. I, a that's a ninety nine card deck, so you're cheating. Um, <laughs> B, yeah, you're right though. Yeah. Um, like it's it it is it's it's a bunch of cards that are redundant. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing too is that Wizards keeps printing good red cards. <laughs> I don't know why they keep doing this. So the deck got a lot better this year um, it, because it got Harsh Mentor, really nice Oof. addition to that oh, deck. Karizev, Karizev, another early really good addition to that deck. It also got Rampaging Ferocidon. I was going to say the card that this card just wrecked you. Yeah, and Rampaging Ferocidon, I think, is actually the most marquee of the. <laughs> because uh, that card swung a bunch of the matchups that were really hard for this deck. Uh, I was playing Mono Red a couple of weeks ago, and my opponent played a Kitchen Finks into one of these, and I said, yes, that's fine, take one. 
Yeah. And they're just like, oh, and no. Then, and then the next turn I went, attack you with my goblin guide. And they went, block, and I went, great, take one. <laughs> because their kitchen things persisted and Rampaging Ferostan dealt them a damage. So, um... So, oh, so anyway, so red keeps breaking. getting better. They yeah. keep printing good red cards. Why uh, does it have menace? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they didn't want it to. I, you, do you want to block this thing? You need a friend, obviously. Like we'd block this together, but you weren't. You aren't doing it alone. I'm not. Oh. I'm not fighting this dinosaur. Time was you could buy a gray ogre for that kind <laughs> so, of mana. So anyway, time so, a change. So um. So yeah, so red keeps getting better. They keep printing more and more good red cards, and the red the red decks keep getting increasingly refined, right? As you have these players who play basically only mono red, it's, it's gotten better and better. And so this year it put up a bunch of really good showings. And I think actually one of the only things that kept it in check and kept it from going crazy was actually Blue Moon. It's interesting mm. because we talk as talk about Madcap and Platinum Imperium being uh, really oppressive and problematic. Um, and and one of the reasons why I think it hasn't made its way onto the points list yet is. The fact that this red deck exists and that you want to have counterplay in the format to it. Mm. Uh, and I think this is a very interesting point. The last deck that we saw that was really dominant was we didn't. We actually have a really healthy and balanced metagame. And uh, uh, like we were saying, we have an average attendance of 30, upwards of 40 people coming out to every night. And different decks are just winning all the time. And that's really cool. Yeah, like I would guess that the most successful deck of this year, I don't have the actual stats in front of me, but I think it's 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 Blue Moon had the most wins this year, and I would guess that that number is under 20, less less than 20% of the, of the tournaments won by Blue Moon, maybe even less than 15. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some uh, new archetypes that showed up that just kind of surprised us as new cards were being printed. And uh, first off, we have a little something something we like to call <laughs> the Paradox Academy. <laughs> Uh, Alex, you want to start us off by talking about what Academy is? Like, so, what is an Academy deck? Academy is a artifact-based sort of combo deck. It's like a combo synergy deck. It just plays, like, a million artifacts and then a bunch of, like, artifact combos. Like, this is the deck that plays, um, uh, like, Painter, Server, and Grindstone. Um, does this deck play, like, Time Vault sometimes? No, you're uh, playing no, that's Austin Tyler and other things. Um, it, it gets its namesake from Telerian Academy which uh, is a legendary land that taps to add blue to your mana pool for each artifact you control. So you'll play like artifact lands, play out some two mana rocks and some other incidental stuff and then float a million mana and play out these various combos. Um, and uh, Paradox Academy is, I guess, a sort of natural evolution of this deck. So what is, what is the Paradox? What is so confusing about this deck? The, the Paradox is the engine of the deck. Oh, it is oh, Paradox good. Engine. <laughs> uh, so this this card breeds whenever you cast a spell, untap all non-land permanents you control. That sounds oh, good. And th this this version of Academy really relies upon the bigger rocks. So cards like Thran Dynamo, Worn Power Stone, even going so far as Cisse's Ring and Urgolem's Eye. Wow. Yeah, you lost uh, me with those last two. Yeah. Uh, so th four mana artifacts that make you two colorless You skipped right mana. past Grim Monolith? <laughs> yeah, that, that one's good. I mean, that one's just, that good was in, just in every deck. Yeah. So Cisse's Ring is just a four mana artifact that adds two colorless huh. to your mana pool. All the other ones are the same or better than I've Cisse's Ring. I've also seen the rare Conley Gem. Calny Gem, Calny yeah. Gem, that was oh, made in yeah, yeah, four yeah. mana return two lands to your hand. This, that one's actually insane because you can colored mana. Replay your academy. It's colored mana and it can rebuy like academy and minimo. Oh man. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so this deck really relies upon the 
the mana rocks that make more than one mana at a time because it relies upon Paradox Engine. And it uses draw sevens like Time Twister, Wheel of Fortune, Windfall, all various cards that draw you and your opponent both a bunch of cards. And then a few engine cards. It uses uh, Staff of Domination to really good effect. That's a three mana artifact that does literally anything you want it to, which is <laughs> you want well, dices, it has and dices. It has five yeah. five activated abilities. Uh, the most important ones are untap target creature, three and tap it to untap target creature, and five and tap it to draw a card. So with Paradox Engine, you're often floating more than five five mana each time you cast a spell, depending on how what the cost of your spell is. Sure. So you're often upward floating upwards of twenty mana. Pardon? Yeah. Wow. Lots of times. That's yeah. a lot. That's a big number. <laughs> and so, when you can, when you have a, an outlet like Staff of Domination that just yeah. lets you keep the Paradox Engine cycle going until yeah. you find a win. So what? What changed though? Like Par Paradox Engine obviously sounds powerful, but how did this take a deck? You know, Academy has been in and around our meta. It's done pretty well, but why is this deck doing so well? Uh, Paradox Engine only got printed last year. It's from from Kaladesh block. And it took people a little while to to play with it and, like, Wait, this is and figure out that you can just play a deck that abuses this card so much hmm. and has enough other ways to win the game that it's it's a powerful deck. You just like generate a million mana and draw forty cards. You'll find a way to win. You don't have to think about it too hard. Yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> as as Alex was saying, there's enough sort of two and three card combos in the deck that you're. By playing draw sevens and you're playing the free artifact tutors like Fabricate, even some pointed ones like Transmute Artifact usually gets into the deck. Do you remember how Cogo became Cawblade became Deathblade? Yeah. As new cards got printed? I think it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. It, it's also worth noting this deck, Academy as a whole, got better um, because of some unpointings. So ah. in, in 2015, um, Academy was the boogeyman. Uh, a bunch of a bunch of points happened to Academy decks to make them worse, and this year both Soul Ring and Tinker went down by one point. Um, so in particular, in the last like three months, um, these decks have gotten to play more pointed cards. Previously, Soul Ring okay, was totally cool. outside of the budget. Yeah. If you wanted to play Tinker, now you get to play both and a couple other one point cards. I think the one other thing that makes this Paradox uh, Paradox uh, Engine Academy deck a little different from the other conventional Academy decks is. The more conventional Academy decks that we used to see were trying to assemble some A plus B combo yeah, a lot like, of the time, like, like Panther Server Grindstone. Yeah. And one of the reasons that this Paradox Engine uh, deck is very good is that you just kind of have a bunch of cards that synergistically work together, and then randomly sometimes you combo kill people. <laughs> so if you have Rings of Bright Hearth in play, yeah. it's generating you a bunch of value, but if you ever play Basalt Monolith, now you just have infinite colorless mana. Um, yeah. but, but Rings does other stuff. Basalt Monolith also com combos a Paradox Engine. So basically just the deck just finally got threat dense enough that you could cut a bunch of those A plus B combos and now you're just kind of this combo deck where all of your cards matter. Hmm. Um, so, so what are the kills in it now? I, I've seen it play Aetherflux Reservoir before. That, yeah. That's one of them. It also plays Walking Ballista with uh, right, just make infinite right. numerous yeah. infinite, infinite or, or even finite mana. mana. Like It's actually totally within the realm of possibility to make 40 mana. Yeah, it, people. it is. Can we describe Aetherflux Reservoir really quick? Yeah. The way this wins is a little bit non-conventional. So, <laughs> so it's a 4 mana artifact. Whenever you cast a spell, you gain 1 life for each spell you've cast this turn. So notably, it's it's Cumulative. It's it's additive. It's not gain one life each time you one, cast a spell. Two, it's gain, gain one, then gain two, then gain three. So it it really adds up quite quickly. And then 
It has an activated ability. Pay 50 life. <laughs> Aetherflux Reservoir deals 50 damage to target creature or player. Target creature. Yeah. Or, well, or player. Look, so if you ever Mostly have to player. beat the, the two-mana white creature that gives your opponent hexproof, you 50 that, and then you 50 them. It's happened. I've watched it. All right. You just know that if they didn't have or creature on here, that people would be like, can't hit creatures. It's <laughs> <That's> garbage. <laughs> Confirmed yeah. garbage. Card's bad. Because when you really when you when you want to pay fifty life and deal fifty damage to a creature, yeah. Oh, I that mean, style point where you have a stuffy doll. Yeah, you're like I was fifty about points. To say. Target my own stuffy doll. So yeah. triggered. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that this deck through the use of draw sevens and cheap artifacts can can definitely get up to that life total quickly. It's also just a reasonable card to have in any aggressive matchup. It they basically can't beat you until they remove this card just because you're going to cast enough spells that... It's like even if you cast a couple of cantrips, you're gaining like two, three life huh. a turn. But if you cast three spells, it's six life, right? Wow, yeah. that sounds it's, really It adds up beat. really fast. It it does. Uh, and so this and Walking Blister, some of the ways they win. The deck is also just a plan to hard cast Emrakul deck. Yep. <laughs> yeah, fair. Just pay retail for Emrakul. Yeah, getting to 15 mana is actually reasonably trivial. This is OG Emrakul, not new Emrakul. Yeah, yeah Emrakul, okay. Emrakul, Emrakul, Emrakul the Aeon's Torn. You're, you're taking extra turns and annihilating six. Love it. For sure. Um, this deck is also a Tinker for Blightsteel deck. Or just cast Blightsteel. Yeah, or, or just, for Blightsteel. Or just cast Blightsteel. Or, or but, Tinker for it, yeah. Sick. So, yeah, the, this deck has numerous ways to win. Most of them are colorless. Most of them take upwards of 20 mana. But, <laughs> but you can make 20 mana. That, it's, it's okay. Not, not so hard to do in this deck. All right, let's talk about another deck that uh, really started doing well this year, and that's Mono White Death and Taxes. Mm. Uh, Liam, tell me about this deck. And we've talked about this deck before. Why is it doing so well now? Yeah, so I, um, when we talked about this in the deck in the past, I've always been careful to note that this is different from like White Weenie yep. yeah, that people conventionally think of. So this deck doesn't play Savannah Lines uh, or really any of the one mana, two ones that don't have additional text. Like it's playing like Soldier of the Pantheon, Kithian, and not many more beyond that. Um, and then in, in exchange, it's going higher up the curve. So you're playing more four drops, uh, things like Gideon, Ally of Zendikar. Linvala. Uh, mm. maybe sometimes Linvala, Alms Collector is another card that's made its way into this deck. Really? Uh, Thought Not Seer. Thought Not Seer is another good one. Sorry, which, what, the Alms Collector? Alms Collector, yeah. Uh, it's from you, the Commander set. So can you tell me about that card? Sure, so it's a four, it's three and a white for a four mana cat cleric. Uh, fits in Cleric Tribal. I told you this deck cleric. has support. Um, with, flash. with Flash. And if your opponent would draw two or more cards, you each draw one card instead. And it's a 3-4. And it's a 3-4. Yeah, this card's just good. Um, and so the reason, there's a couple of reasons why this deck has shifted in this direction. Um, one, the, the sort of like white weenie, really low to the ground um, strategy. Man, is it bad against Pyroclasm. Yeah. It was really easy to hate out. Um, and and you just lost to a bunch of random cards, this deck's way more resilient. Hmm. The other reason that this deck uh, really rose in prominence is um, it's really good against Mono Red. You know, this is the deck that most reasonably casts Core Firewalker, but you actually don't even need to be playing Core Firewalker <laughs> in your deck to have a good red matchup. Huh. This is a deck that has a lot of equipment, has a lot of ways to go find equipment. Yeah. So this is the best Umazawa's Jitae deck in the format, probably, and, and that yeah. card's lights out against red. It even has other like life gaining equipment. If you really want to, you can put more in your deck. It has random lifelink creatures. It clogs up the board with idiot first strikers like Thalia. Um, 
Thalia is also just like really good against Mono Red. Like when yeah. Lightning Bolt suddenly becomes Searing Spear and Searing Spear becomes Open Fire, like it, it starts getting way harder to add add up to 20. Um, so yeah, so we saw this deck come along largely as a response to Mono Red. I mean, as it turns out, it also has good matchups against other things. So this deck is also quite good against Blue Moon. Uh, with the reason being it's a single color deck, so the Blood Moon plan's bad. It actually grinds surprisingly well. Hmm. Um, there's a, a bunch of kind of like secret card advantage engines in this deck. Got stuff like Weathered Wayfarer, uh, which is the one white, Whoa. which when you have fewer lands than your opponent, you can tap it for a white to search for really? any land. Yeah, this card's really powerful. Um, it has, yeah. it, it, it's one of the better Cavern of Souls decks, which is quite good against the counterspell plans of the Blue Moon decks. Can you and just name, like human? Yeah, exactly. Cleric. Or Cleric. <laughs> uh, and, and since Blue Moon plays Platinum Imperium, the, the Mad Cat for Platinum Imperium strategy, <laughs> they've actually shaved a lot of sweepers. And so, sure, they might bonf bonfire you once, but actually after that, they don't have a ton of other ways to get the board clear. Hmm, and, and this deck can rebuild reasonably quickly and efficiently. And then lastly, it can kill Platinum Imperium. The white removal is very good against Platinum Imperium. The artifact removal the deck circumstantially plays is also very good against it. Hmm. So, so this deck sort of arose because it really effectively lines up with the two best yeah. decks in the format from, from this year. You it, mentioned it, Thought Not Seer. Yeah. Which sounds kind of exciting. So it's maybe technically a two-color deck. It is, yeah. You, you could call it white and colorless. Jared, do you want to talk about this splash? Uh, yeah, I'll talk about this splash a bit. So it it predominantly plays it for Reality Smasher, Thought Not Seer, and sometimes Matter Reshaper. How, do we, how, how are we splashing? We're actually playing Eldrazi Temple, right? Yeah, we're playing Eldrazi Temple, Whoa. and then just a I bunch of colorless that. utility cool. lands. Sometimes stuff like... Seagate Wreckage, sometimes yeah. Core Haven, uh, Wasteland. You're playing some of the the Pain Lands or Filter Lands, just mostly because they can make white and colorless. They're so, secret dual lands. Yeah, they're they're not. So stuff like uh, Battlefield Forge. Yeah, just because they can tap for both white and colorless if you need them to, and so you're able to effectively cast these colorless cards. I also wanted to add that another reason this deck is so good against Blue Moon is because it has access to Ravages of War and Armageddon, mm, right. which are which are two of two of the best it's like basically the best effect you can have against a a blue control deck is just blowing up all their lands cuz they yeah. they don't play rocks at all cuz they have uh Platinum Imperium, they can't. They have Madcap, yeah, so yeah, they, yeah. they just dome themselves out with Madcap. And so this this is a deck that can put enough pressure on the board that forces the blue moon deck to tap out, and then they just you just get to untap an Armageddon, and then you often win the game on the spot. Hmm. I mean, this they is just, kind of a counter it or die spell. Oh, it, absolutely, it's it must almost, counter almost every time. Yeah, this is if you this, resolve your yeah yeah yeah. <clears throat> All right, well let's let's start talking about some of the archetypes that we've talked about on the show quite a bit, uh, or that were uh, boogeymen in the past and have sort of. Not really made a splash in 2017. Alex, what happened to Hoof? I don't know, man. Hoof just wandered away. So I remember when this deck got really into the 60s. When, <laughs> when this deck you know, first just, came I just out, just wanted to get back to nature. Like it was, I have lost so many times to Hoof, and 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 this deck made such an impact on me that when I'm brewing, I'm always being like, I gotta jam those pyroclasms. I gotta jam those pyroclasms. You gotta, you know, you gotta do something against Hoof, and then it's just like, where's the Hoof? You know what deck jams a lot of pyroclasms? Blue Moon. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Uh, that's and that's not the only reason. I mean, uh, we had the best and certainly most consistent hoof pilot 
Uh, he sort of took a step away from Highlander this year. He didn't play nearly as much. Mm. So just like one of the most consistent pilots who was putting the deck near the top a lot just wasn't around. Okay. And so that tends to push into the, the rearview mirror a little bit. Um, it also, uh, this deck just like, you would think it keeps getting better the more cards that Watsi prints. Um, but they haven't really printed a super good hoof card in a while. Hmm. Um, Carnage Tyrant was one we thought might get in. This new Tender Shot Dryad's like a card we thought might get in. Um, but like they haven't really printed a one mana mana dork in a while. They haven't printed. Oh right, yeah. like, they learned. <laughs> like Decimator of Provinces is probably the best card this card this deck's received in the last two years. Oh, that was the from the new Eldrazi. Or yeah, DVD. it's the one that you can that you yeah. can. Uh, Eldritch Eldritch yeah, Moon, thank you. I, yeah, yeah, you can emerge and it's kind of second hoof, but. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. Jer, you've played this deck a bunch. Like, what else? Like, I mean, and in fairness, Jer played Green White Hoof in the Snohomish tournament. So I, I did, yeah. It's not totally gone, but. The deck's still certainly powerful and still has access to do this, the same things it did before. Uh, I think a large part of it is, as Liam said, you just haven't got many new new tools where all these other decks have been getting significantly better over the course of the last two years. They've, they've definitely pushed some cards. Uh, hoof cards haven't really been any. You've sort of had, they've been pushing a lot of more mid-range creature cards, which really isn't what the hoof deck wants. It wants cards that help accelerate your mana faster, and the top end's pretty pretty well sorted. You don't really need more top end cards hmm. or, or mid-range cards. It's pretty hard to beat Crater Hoof. Yeah, yeah. so another deck uh, that has disappeared, and it's funny <laughs> because we talked about it earlier, is actually Desk Jeskai. So the Jeskai mid-range Oh my goodness. <laughs> Jeskai midrange. Save me. Liam. Yeah, so the Jeskai midrange deck has really fallen out of favor this year. Um, and there's there's a, there's a couple of reasons. One, as Jer said at the beginning <clears throat> of the show, it was the Boogeyman in 2016. Uh, definitely the marquee deck from that year, the breakout deck from that year. Uh, yeah, the barricade is up. Um, no more Jeskai. And and in the start in through the start of this year, we still saw it getting played. Uh, famously, one of the main Jeskai pilots lost a bet and didn't play it for six months as a result. <laughs> oh, right. That was such a stupid bet. It was not a smart one, no. So so that resulted in there being less Jeskai, obviously. Also, uh, it, it was definitely a deck that as more and more people worked out how to play against Jeskai, yeah. um, people just got better at playing against the deck. So one thing Jared told me when I first came back, because I hadn't played against it yet, I was like, yeah, like is this Jeskai deck just like unbeatable? And he was like, no, it, it's definitely beatable. You just have to like realize that they only play like eight or nine counterspells. That's the thing, they and play way, if you get past the illusion that they're always holding a counterspell and be yeah, like, resolve my threat. You just like, got to oh. jam. Um, yeah. And, and that, so that's a big part of it is that you just, you just jam stuff and that's, that's often gonna work. You're often gonna get people doing that. Um, so people got better about playing against Jeskai. People started building with Jeskai in mind, so that that hurt the deck a little bit. Also, I talked about all these points changes that happened largely because of Blue Moon. I mean, many of these points changes impacted Jeskai as well. Yeah. So the Mana Drain change, the Merchant Scroll change, these all hit Jeskai. Um, Time Walk and Ancestral went up, which were the two cards that Jeskai commonly played. So the deck just to pick now. Yeah, exactly. So the deck lost a bunch of a bunch of power, a bunch of punch in that sense. And then I think maybe this is the the biggest thing is that uh, the Blue Moon Jeskai matchup's pretty interesting. Um, but as Jer said, that deck's mana is not good, um, <laughs> and so it's. It was really vulnerable to more than one plan. Yeah, if they the sneak, if they resolve it, right. it's kind of GG. And as as we said, it's often pretty doable, right? Like you had a lot of Blue Moon pilots who would just jam the Blood Moon on turn three, and if it resolves, the game often ends. Yeah, just like wow. you got the counter spell, 
Yeah. Game so two? Jeskai, guy, the best and worst deck of 2017, I guess. That was interesting. When we were planning this episode, and I was like, all right, best deck. You're like, Jeskai. I'm like, cool. I'm like, decks that aren't doing well. You're like, Jeskai. I'm like, I, hold on. What? <laughs> we're going to have to talk about that one. All right, next up, another boogeyman, Storm. What happened to Storm? I thought we were in hashtag combo winter. We are. Well, a lot of the, the point lowerings we did actually affected other combo decks, not Storm. Because... <laughs> The the only thing that would really impact Storm is if we lowered either Black Lotus or Demonic Tutor, I think. Because back when the Storm deck was a Black Lotus Demonic Tutor deck, it was it was very good. Some people thought it was too good, and so we we raised the the points on it so they couldn't couldn't do that anymore. But they actually didn't really care about any other pointed cards for a while. They people have tried to play Black Lotus with other other pointed cards, and you, it just just wasn't quite the same. You very notably crushed me on the Highlander stream with fair green lotus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so like yeah, yeah. The, best, the best lotus in the game. Yeah, it's um, also worth noting that part of the reason why this deck drops off too is just like there's not that many black lotuses running around Victoria. It, it, it's a, fair. it's a deck with a reasonably high barrier to entry, and so when it got pointed and the the couple of pilots who were playing it decided. I don't really feel like playing this anymore. There weren't more people to just pick it up. An another thing is it's also an incredibly difficult deck to play. You can't, it's it's not a deck you can sort of just like loan to somebody for a tournament and then they're going to go out and <laughs> Try play, my storm deck. play the deck to its full capability and yeah. win the tournament. It's, it's, it's very hard to just pick up a storm deck and do well with it. Even if you're a proficient storm deck in storm player and other formats, this, this deck is very different and is very hard to play. So I suppose it had this triple threat of Sophistication, cost, and pointings against it. Yeah, sort of the one, two, three punch. It's just like, oh, goodbye. Yeah. Uh, so something that we haven't really seen dominant is the entire color black, which I know Alex has been trying to jam yeah, a bit. I was going to say bunch. this feels like an Alex so to talk about. When I mean, you've been when you've been playing black, color. what's been going what's been going wrong? What do you what do you feel is going on there? Well. Uh, I give 110%, I just don't win. <laughs> um, <laughs> I show up every day. I show up every day. <laughs> Work hard. You know, I wonder... Somebody floated a theory a while ago yeah. um, about uh, the color black in Magic, which was that it has a lot of really great cards. It is the least splashable color. It's the greediest color. Totally. Yeah. Because of the number of pips. It's the most selfish color. Yeah, it's the most selfish color. So, like, all the really key, amazing, really good cards you want to play are black, black. Or black, black, black. They are not splashable. Like, uh, it's it's tough to hit those those mana costs. And so, as a result, it's like you're either playing mono black, which is maybe not in a great spot right now, uh, or, like, a two-color deck that... I don't know. Is there any like? Mm. I mean, there there's the rock, which works, which but, notably didn't qualify this year. Mm. And I've still been like banging my head against black mold trying to make that work. And it's always it's always sort of a three one deck. I don't know if it needs something else to put it over the top, but yeah. And that's not to say that that black decks haven't been winning tournaments, no. but we haven't seen a, a, a breakout black deck like we've seen Blue Moon or Jeskai. Like yeah. Reanimators won tournaments. We've seen. Um, uh, Esper and Grixis, like, um, yeah. uh, vault decks and mid-range decks doing really well, but there just isn't, like, a well-positioned black deck right now. Yeah, so it's had showings, but not any sort of, like, explosive entries. Yeah. So, I don't know. And the, the last archetype that we've, we've really seen an absence of lately is Tempo. 
Yep. Just no tempo. So, so commentator, uh, some some people noted that when we did the, the tempo episode, when we were talking about general archetypes, there was this sort of somber feeling in the room, at least <laughs> at least from from Jer and I, and that's because both Jer and I really like playing tempo, and like historically, it's it's one of my better archetypes, uh, like one of the ones I, I like playing more, um, and. Yeah, tempo is kind of bad right now, uh, and and why um, is that? Yeah, so it's a couple of things. One, Wizards just keeps printing these really good mid-range cards. <laughs> and That's exactly what I was gonna say. Boy, is tempo a not great at dealing with them, yeah. and b if you were gonna build a tempo deck, it's so difficult to not just build that same deck but a mid-range deck instead. Sure. Right, you trade out your exhaustion for like your Thrun. You know, you get your Scarab God in the deck instead of your like. Um, uh, temporal spring, temporal spring, or lower scale quaddle. Yeah, they printed a brand new uh, rower. Yeah, 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 totally D deep scale, deep root champion. A deep root champion. Uh, like, oh, this is perfect in this deck if it was playable. And and people have oh. tried. Uh, it's also worth noting, and I, and I keep coming back to this, and and this does sort of like definitely apply to my overall philosophy. But when you point blue cards, you reduce diversity, and and that definitely did happen here. Um, these these tempo decks are victims of blue cards getting pointed and, and they're getting pushed out of the metagame because uh, they couldn't afford to lose any more points, right? When, when, when Time Walk went up to six, when Ancestral went up to mm. seven, um, it, it keeps getting increasingly difficult to play these tempo decks because they really did lean on their power cards because the other cards weren't as good. Mm. Um, and so, so yeah, tempo in, in most forms has really disappeared. Um, the only kind of tempo that you'll see um, is the more mid-range leaning tempo. The, de the decks that can have tempo draws sure. where you delve into days and to stifle them, but, yeah. but those decks still have Lightning Angel in them. Th or those decks still play four drops. You, know? you can also still play the aggro control decks, like the blue-red That's true. Tempo that's, deck. That's, that's very that, true. That one has yeah. some, some success. Yeah, your especially with, guide. Yeah, with, yeah. with it, I think if you're red-based, that's the best, best angle for tempo at the moment. Yeah, because you can still close games out. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Sunday's event, what are you likely to see? Uh, honestly, when we were having a conversation before, it's hard to predict. Um, we've got these decks that have been really dominant. We have the decks that have done well. Uh, but we've also seen a very healthy metagame. Uh -huh. So what we've tried to do today is talk about sort of the big decks. Yep. The decks that have traditionally done well. Uh, the decks that uh, we've seen win over and over and over. But we're, we're lucky that we've, we've seen really good, really healthy trends where we we're at. don't know how many layers of mind games the players are going to play. It's like, <laughs> if X plays Y and I play Z, then I should play Q instead. But if they expect I'm to get play em. Q, then I'll play P. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's uh, been lying about whether they're left or right-handed. It's it's very confusing. So we'll, we'll get to Sunday, and it will be eight mono brown decks. Oh yeah, it's gonna be incredible. Just rogue <laughs> decks for days, and you're like, what is what is this? He's just like, well, yeah, I digress. Uh, so that's the. Uh, you guys have any closing comments on sort of the 2017 Watch year Sunday. in review? It'll be sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then let's move into our closing segment. And up now, as always, we have powerful magic. Ba -ba -ba Ooh, we're we're expanding on that segment. Well, we're, intro. In, we're in stereo now. Ah, I like it. We're uh, available today. I've got Jer. Jer, tell me a story of of magical intrigue. <laughs> uh, so my story of powerful magic comes yeah. from. Last weekend, when I was down in Snohomish, Washington, hey, fantastic! I was I was playing against, uh, I think it was my round two opponent, and I was I was playing some 
little green men. I was playing, playing, developing my board with some elves, and next okay. to me, there was somebody who was playing elf tribal, and they looked over at my board and were like, "Yeah, nice elf tribal." And then my <laughs> opponent's like, "Nice, I know this matchup. Sweet, it'll be good." And then we're we're playing, and I'm my my hands. D j just has a bunch of mana, really. Sure. And then three turns later, I've I've continued playing elves. I have notably I have priest of Titania and elvish archsteward in play. Oh boy. With, they with play two, well together. With two or three other elves, like I have like Findhorn elves, Llanowar elves, and uh -huh. maybe a Jiraga tree speaker. So tell Seriously, me why a lot of elves. Yeah. So I have I have a lot of mana. Why do these two elves matter? Why priest of Titania in particular and the elvish archdruid? Because they each tap for green mana for each elf you control. So I have. <laughs> Like upwards of ten mana in play. Cool. And I'm playing a bunch of cards that say elf on them. Like <laughs> not just in the creature text box, in the rules text. Okay. So it's understandable that my opponent could think that I'm playing elf tribal. And then uh, I draw for my turn Fierce Empath, another elf. Two in a green, one one. Search for a creature with converted mana cost six or greater. And they were surprised to see this card because they're like, I don't know any elves that cost six or greater. <laughs> then I went and got Crater the, the Elf Behemoth. I got Crater Hoof Behemoth, yeah. which uh, notably is not an elf. <laughs> but then Definitely a beast. I, I cast it and won. And they were like, that's not an elf. Well, and I said, well I never said I was playing elves. Oh, no. You said I was playing elves. Is this a dinosaur yet? No. No, Craterhoof is still a beast because, yeah, of course, why? it is. It's not. It's not a lizard. Like it's not a reptile. It's a big old. It's just a mouth with I th legs. I think it's a. <laughs> I think it's a mammal. What it, you think it births live young? It probably has. <laughs> yeah. How are you making that assessment? Just, I'm looking <laughs> at the there? It probably has. It probably has bristly hairs all over it. That... It's not scaled. It's not a scaly monster. Okay. Maybe it's like a platypus. Maybe it's like a mammal, but like. No, maybe not. All right. Maybe it just like yeah. subdivides magically. Yeah, we'll go with that one. <laughs> sure. Thank you for your powerful magic story, Jer. <laughs> well, that's our episode for today. Uh, in conclusion, we are really excited to be presenting the Victoria Top 8 Highlander Invitational Championship. That's a lot of words to describe what's going to be happening on Sunday. Yeah, you get to intro it that way every time we come back in. Oh, man, so too. many words. So hopefully we'll see you there. It's going to be at the Loading Ready Run Twitch channel at uh, twitch.tv slash loadingreadyrun. As a reminder, we're going to start the stream at noon. PST. That's an important distinction. PST, for those of you who don't live in Victoria. <laughs> Um, it's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, as always, thank you for tuning in. Um, this episode is brought to you almost entirely by your support over at the Patreon at patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun. Um, as always, thanks for watching and we'll see you next time. <laughs>